Peace be with you. My name is Gordon Peck, and I'd like to welcome you to The Word Unveiled, a production of St. Malachi Catholic Church in Sterling Heights, Michigan. Our program is about American saints, blesseds, venerables, and servants. It's one in a series, and tonight we're going to talk about Catherine Drexel. So why would a young single woman who inherited over $135 million at the age of 27 end her life by saving pencil stubs in a drawer? We'll find out. But as in all things, let us begin in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Grant us, Lord, the lamp of charity, which never fails, that it may burn in us and shed its light on those around us, and that by its brightness we may have a vision of that holy city where dwells the true and never-failing light, Jesus Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Okay, Catherine Mary Drexel was born on November 26th in 1858 in Philadelphia. Her father was Francis Anthony Drexel, and Hannah Langstrom Drexel was, his, was her mother. They, li- they were very wealthy, and they lived in this three-story mansion in Philadelphia. She's the second child in the family. She had an older sister named Elizabeth. Her father was highly successful and a wealthy investment banker with a net worth of $15.5 million, which may not sound like a whole lot, but today that would be uh, equal to $400 million. Now, uh, Catherine's grandfather, Francis Martin Drexel, came from Austria to Philadelphia in 1817. And he was a true rags to riches story because he became very wealthy very quickly. He had two sons, Anthony, who founded Drexel University in Philadelphia, and Francis, uh, that was Catherine's father, who was the investment banker. Now, Francis and Hannah, her father and mother, were devout and generous Catholics, and they communicated their faith very well to their daughters. But five weeks after giving birth to Catherine, Hannah Drexel, her mother, died. So Francis asked his brother Anthony and his wife Ellen to care for his daughters for two years until the time that he remarried. In 1860, Francis Drexel married Emma Bouvier, and the girls returned home. Now Francis and Emma continued to build a devout and faithful household for for Elizabeth and Catherine. And young Catherine would often find her father in prayer in the private chapel in their home when he came home from work. That's my kind of investment banker. He has a private chapel in his house. Now, Emma, her her stepmother, opened the house three times each week to anyone that was in need. And they frequently had large crowds of unemployed, crippled, uh, or persons otherwise in need come to them for help. Francis and Emma taught their daughters that great wealth brought great obligations. The wealth was not theirs, but rather something that had been given to them in trust by God for use in helping others. And the Drexels distributed food, clothing, and rent assistance. When widows or single women were too proud to come to the Drexels for assistance, the family quietly sought them out. Emma Drexel explained to her daughters that kindness may be unkind if it leaves a sting behind. Catherine took this to heart. So Elizabeth and Catherine were joined by a new sister, Louise, in 1863. And the girls were taught at home by private tutors. They studied literature, music, rhetoric, or public speaking, and grammar. 
but their father thought that they should study geography. And he thought the best way to do that was to actually go places and visit them. So he encouraged them to travel extensively, and he is particularly fond of taking them out to the American West, which in the year 1870 was still quite strange, wild, and exciting. In fact, the Battle of Bull Run happens in 1876, so it's still the Wild West. But they traveled and they saw the world. And when Catherine was still quite young, she began to ponder the manner in which she might continue to help the poor and disadvantaged as she became a woman. So her parents' charity had a great effect upon her. And then she began to ponder the life as a religious sister. Father James O'Connor, a Philadelphia priest and a longtime family friend, offered spiritual direction for all of the Drexel girls. And after Father O'Connor was appointed Vicar Apostolic of Nebraska, which took him far away, Catherine wrote to him about her desire to join a contemplative order. And Bishop O'Connor suggested, wait a while longer, wait and pray. Catherine was still quite young. Catherine was introduced to Philadelphia High Society as a debutante in 1878. Now, this should have been a particularly exciting time for her, but her reaction was one of boredom and quiet contemplation. High society is not her goal. Her stepmother was also desperately ill at this time with breast cancer and had struggled with the illness for two years and and she would die in the following year. But Catherine now, age 21, contemplated that even great wealth could not stave off illness and disease, so there must be more to life than debutante balls. Catherine kept up her correspondence with Father O'Connor in far-off Nebraska. She asked him about the native peoples of the Great Plains and told him about a book she had read. It was written by Helen Hunt Jackson, and it was called A Century of Dishonor. It was one of the first books to look at how uh, the indigenous peoples of North America had, how their lives had been so disrupted and destroyed by the coming of uh, Europeans. And she continued to consider religious life, and so she continued to write to Father O'Connor about that. In 1885, her father Francis died, leaving the three girls as orphans and heiresses. Their father left 10% of his fortune to charities, and he split the rest three ways between his daughters. They had to live off the interest and could not spend the principal, which resulted in an income of $1,000 per day. So they were pretty well off. Catherine and her sisters were unsure of their next moves. Catherine began to look for ways to help others with the inheritance that she was receiving. And then Bishop Martin Marty, who was the bishop of the Dakota Territory, and Father Joseph Stephen visited Catherine and told her about their mission schools among indigenous people. Catherine was very interested, and she would begin to contribute to uh, building mission schools and helping with existing missions all through the West. Then Catherine decided to go out west to see these missions, and she made a large donation to fund some of their work. But she was still indecisive about her next stage in life. She wrote to Father O'Connor and told him about her trip to the missions and her desire to become a religious sister. But she was still unsure. So Catherine and her sisters decided to do what many wealthy Americans did in the summer months. They went to Europe, and they toured the spas, that was in 1887. But at the end of her journey, Catherine, now 29 years old, went to Rome and secured an audience with Pope Leo XIII. And she told Pope Leo, 
of the plight of the indigenous peoples of the Great Plains, which she had witnessed in her trips, and of the difficulties of former slaves and their families in America. And she asked him for a group of priests and religious sisters that could go and help these people. Well, Catherine and her sisters explained the need for the missionaries for, for, some, for some of the missions, which they themselves were financially supporting. And the Pope listened intently, and then looking at Catherine directly in her eyes, he said, why not you, my child, become that missionary? Well, Catherine was shocked, and she left in tears. She could not speak. She couldn't answer the Pope with regard to his suggestion, but she knew in her heart what she was going to do. So she wrote again to her spiritual director, Bishop James O'Connor, and she finally decided to give herself totally to God through service to Indians and colored people, is how she wrote it in her, in her letter. Her uncle, Anthony Drexel, reminded her of all the marriage proposals she had received and tried to dissuade her from entering religious life. But Catherine entered the Sisters of Mercy Convent in Pittsburgh in May 1889, and she began her sixth-month sixth postulancy. Her decisions made headlines throughout Philadelphia's social circles. You can imagine, wealthy debutante becomes a nun. After her novitiate, Catherine formed the Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament with the assistance from Mother Frances Xavier Cabrini, who helped her write her order's rule. And Mother Cabrini, you will remember, uh, was the, uh, came from Italy and, and uh, founded missions in, in New York and Chicago. She did orphanages and she built hospitals. And she, she was a great model for Catherine to consult. So she helped, actually helped her write the rule for her new order. And now Catherine began to attract women to this new religious order and its mission to assist Native American and African-American children. And a mother house for SBS was established in the Drexel family's old summer home, and they started training 13 new sisters over the next three years. In 1893, the first mission to the Pueblos began. St. Michael's School, which was founded in 1902 by Catherine Drexel and the Sisters of the uh, Blessed Sacrament, and construction began immediately. Uh, St. Michael Indian School is a private Roman Catholic day school. It's part of the St. Michael Parish in Gallup, New Mexico, and it's still in operation today. Mother Catherine and her sisters moved into the unfinished St. Elizabeth Convent in Cornwell's Heights, Pennsylvania, on December 3rd, 1892. And 15 children from the Holy, Fam Holy Family Cottage in Torresdale, which was the old Drexel summer home, moved into the adjoining Holy Providence School. So she's building convents and schools, and her order is really taking off. In the first of many incidents that indicated Drexel's convictions for social justice, uh, they, it indicated that they weren't shared by everyone in society at her time, they found a stick of dynamite near, near one of the construction sites. St. Benedict the Moore School in Florida uh, began as part of a Catholic mission in 1871, and it was formed to help the families of newly freed slaves. Slavery had just ended in 1863, but the war hadn't ended until 1865, so this is only six years later. Catherine Drexel donated $7,500 for the construction of this building, uh, which you see in the photograph, in 1898. And then the school, was, the school was constructed of brick, and it's one of the first schools for black students in Florida. The students were instructed by nuns from a local convent. 
of the Sisters of St. Joseph, and there were between 90 and 100 students enrolled every year in this school for many, many years. Another project was St. Joseph Indian Normal School in Rensselaer, Indiana. This was established in 1888. This is even before she took vows. <clears throat> it was established with funds that she had advanced to them. And it was uh, established as the Catholic Indian Missions um, uh, to serve that area. It was a boarding school, and it accommodated 60 children, all boys. And the school building is now still in use. It is called Drexel Hall, and it's part of St. Joseph's College campus in Rensselaer, Indiana. In 1895, in 1895 uh, Mother Catherine persuaded the Cincinnati Franciscan Friars to begin a mission among the Navajo. Financially supported by Mother Catherine, they opened St. Michael's Mission School. And Mother Catherine Drexel stretched the Cincinnati Friars apostolically since most of them had previously worked in predominantly German-American parishes, and now they're working with Native Americans. After the Civil War, the Bellmead Plantation in Virginia was abandoned and deserted. Property was purchased in 1895 by Catherine Drexel and repaired and reopened as a St. Francis de Sales school dedicated to the education of Black and Native American girls. Between its establishment in 1896 and its closure in 1970, over 5,000 young women were educated at St. Francis de Sales. And in 1899, she opened a second school on the grounds, which she called St. Emma Military Academy for Boys. It was named after Catherine's stepmother. She, I guess she made her a saint. And it was opened on the property uh, and, and uh, owned by Edward Morrell and his wife, Louise. This is Catherine's half-sister. And together, the schools are credited with educating over 15,000 black students. Now, you can't see it in this photograph on the screen, but you can't see it very well. But there are children all along the edge of the building. Uh, there must be three or four dozen children there. And they are all part of the African-American students that came to this school, which was located in Virginia. <clears throat> so Catherine Drexel and her sisters established 145 missions, 50 schools for African-Americans, 12 schools for Native Americans, and Xavier University of Louisiana, which is the only historically black Catholic university in the United States. Here's a listing of all the foundations that she helped to establish. St. Benedict the Moore School in Florida, Blessed Sacrament Catholic School in Beaumont, Texas, Sacred Heart Catholic School in Port Arthur, Texas, St. Joseph Indian Normal School, now called Drexel Hall in Indiana, St. Michael Indian School in Arizona, St. Mark School, which was the first school in New York City for African-American children, St. Emma's Industrial and Agricultural Institute, um, St. Francis de Sales School for Girls, and St. Francis, excuse me, St. Peter Claver Catholic School in Macon, Georgia, in 1913 with the help of Bishop Benjamin Kiley and Father Ignatius Lisner, and then also Xavier University of Louisiana. Now, in 1915, Catherine Drexel founded Xavier High School and boarding school in New Orleans. It was the first boarding school for young black students in the region. But because of racial animosity in the area, it was described before it opened as only a Catholic school. But when word got out that, that black students were attending it, uh, the KKK showed up and broke out every single window in the building. In 1925, additional buildings were added 
and it became Xavier University. Now, her sisters, her oldest sister, Elizabeth, while on a honeymoon trip to Europe, became pregnant and seriously ill. And she and her husband, Walter, returned to Philadelphia, where Elizabeth and her child both died on November 26, 1890. Louise Drexel Morell, her half-sister, the youngest of the three, was a devout Catholic, and so was her husband. And they were serious philanthropists, often working very closely with her older sister, Catherine, and securing funding for important missions and schools. She died on November 5th, 1945. Now, Mother Catherine Drexel traveled extensively during her entire life, which was ultimately very fatiguing. And in 1935, she suffered a severe heart attack while traveling and was forced to return to the mother house and withdraw from her busy schedule. She continued to fund projects, however, and work in administrative tasks and in prayers for her sisters and all those who served the mission schools for the next 20 years. When she died, they found in her drawer all the little tiny pencil stubs that she had saved. Rather than spend money on new pencils, she saved it for the missions, and she worked with the very last bit of every pencil. On March 3, 1955, she died at the age of 96. What's her legacy? Well, the Louisiana Department of of Education officially recognized Xavier University as a four-year college on March 19, 1928. That was before her death. With first degrees degrees awarded two years later, and a college of pharmacy was added in 1927. Recognizing the university's need for a separate identity and room to expand, Drexel bought a tract of undeveloped land for a campus on the corner of Palmito and Pine Streets in 1929. To avoid blockage of the deal by racial separatists, Drexel again purchased the property through an agent. But there was more racial tension surrounding Drexel University. There was a time in the 1960s when there was a group called the Freedom Riders who rode buses into uh, racially segregated uh, cities and, and, and enacted peaceful demonstrations, but they received violent reactions in some cases. In May of 1961, a group of Freedom Riders arrived in New Orleans and aware of the firebombings and attacks that had happened against other Freedom Riders, the local hotels refused them accommodations. So Norman C. Francis, who was the university's dean of men, he secretly arranged for the group to stay stay several days in a dormitory on campus at, at Xavier University. And her legacy in the West continues. St. Michael's School, which was founded in 1902, is still going strong. Over 97% of the student body are members of the Navajo Nation. St. Michael's uh, Elementary School is the oldest building on the campus, but there's an entire uh, educational campus that now exists in this location. And the high school was constructed in 1946 and hosts all of the secondary grades. St. Catherine Drexel also said, if we wish to serve God and love our neighbor well, we must manifest our joy in the service we render to him and them. Let us open wide our hearts. It is joy which invites us. Press forward and fear nothing. So this is her journey to sainthood. The process of canonization for Catherine began, uh, was begun by John Cardinal Kroll, who officially introduced her cause in Rome in December of 1964. 
On January 26, 1987, Mother Catherine was declared venerable, which means she's uh, she had lived a holy life and and uh, above reproach, and and she was worthy of of prayers. And the first cause toward her beatification happened with Robert Gutherman. He was 14 years old. He was in the ninth grade. This was in 1974. He developed a severe ear infection, and he began to have a series of different doctors treat him, and they thought it was a normal ear infection. But he was in severe pain all through this time. And his uh, Robert's brother happened to do maintenance work at the SBS mother house. So he told the sisters about his brother's deafness, and they prayed to Kath, Mother Catherine uh, for her intercession. A few days later, the doctors told Robert that several of the bones in his right ear had been destroyed by the infection and that he would never hear out of that ear again. A few days later, however, Robert, Robert told his mother that he could hear out of both of his ears, and the doctors examined him and confirmed this was true. And this miracle was confirmed, and Mother Catherine was beatified on November 20th, 1988, by Pope John Paul II. And here we see Pope John Paul II and Robert Gutherman together in, in Rome in 1988. Now, the second miracle occurred when the doctors first diagnosed one-year-old Amy Wall with incurable nerve deafness. Her parents prayed that their baby might someday learn sign language. But Amy's seven-year-old brother, Jack, believed in miracles. The child believes in miracles. He wanted to help his sister Amy to hear, and, and he demanded they pray for a cure. So the family prayed to Mother Catherine Drexel, who devoted her life to the poor. And months later, Amy was not only hearing, but speaking. So Catherine Drexel was proclaimed to be a saint on October 1st, 2000, in Rome, by Pope John Paul II. And her mortal remains were interred at the shrine of Catherine Drexel at the mother house of the Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament in Ben Salem, Pennsylvania. And this is some photographs of that mother house. And you see the stained glass windows commemorating the work of Mother uh, Catherine. And, and you see her in this statue where she's holding a, a little African-American child and there's a, a Native American girl at her side. And it's a, it was a really beautiful building, but it doesn't exist anymore. Um, when Catherine's father died, his will stipulated that his daughters would inherit his fortune directly, that, it, that they would not inherit it directly, rather, but that it would be paid from an endowment during their lifetimes. Remember, they got $1,000 a day paid out to them. Well, he further stipulated that this fund would be inherited by their heirs, or in the case of no heirs, be paid out to charities he identified. Well, none of his daughters, his three daughters, had heirs that outlived them. So the money ended, and Catherine did not create an endowment fund for the various missions and charities that she funded in her lifetime. If there was anything she didn't do right, that was probably it. Consequently, the Sisters of the, of the Blessed Sacrament no longer had the source of funding that they relied upon for all their various missions. So their missions were gradually replaced and their numbers, which, which had been over 500 or more, declined to 100, with 50% of the sisters being retired or infirmed. And ultimately, they had to sell the mother house. And St. Catherine Drexel's remains were then transferred to the Cathedral Basilica Church of St. Peter and Paul in Philadelphia, and that occurred in 2018. And this was the same church that Catherine and her family had attended 
uh, mass at when she was a little girl. And a solemn celebration for the tomb's installation was held in November of that year, and it was uh, led by Archbishop Char- Charles Chaput, a very holy man, and her tomb has been declared an archdiocesan shrine. St. Catherine Drexel, pray for us. Let us end in prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Peace be with you. Thanks for listening.